Today I'm talking to Alex Crane, who is a clothing designer, and he's based in Brooklyn, New York, which is one of the reasons why it took us a little bit of time to actually get this interview off the ground, because you've been in a city where Black Lives Matter has been the main focus of the city. And I imagine it's a very difficult, very unusual atmosphere in the city. Um, so what does it feel like to be right in the center of that kind of thing at the moment? It's, you know, it's surreal. I live in Fort Greene um, and it started, oh, well, and then there's an added element, which is that uh, my wife is very pregnant. She's due in two weeks. So that has also been going on at the same time. And um, we live in Fort Greene. So there's um, the pandemic also kind of uh, centered around this, at least in, in Brooklyn, because there's a hospital just a couple blocks away that was really swamped during the worst of it. And then, and then, yeah, then the, this, this movement has kind of centered around Fort Greene and downtown Brooklyn. So um, I've been thinking about how to, you know, talk about this later on to my daughter and, 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 you know, try to explain the, the way the world was shifting and while she was cooking in her mama's belly. Um, and, um, I'm not sure I have a very good answer yet, but I, I would say that, um, I have been, New York always kind of is a mirror in some ways, I think as in the years that I've been here, I'm not from here. So it's, but it, um, I've been here like nine years and it, it oftentimes is kind of the, the concentrated version of what's going on in other places. And, and so that can be good and bad. You can see like the, the absolute most beautiful version of the melting pot, or you can see just the fucking darkness of the world. And right now I think there have been times when I felt uh, both. So I felt uh, there was a period of time, I think during the pandemic and the beginning of the, the, the protest that felt really, kind of apocalyptic. There was a lot of helicopters going overhead. There's a lot of sirens. Um, and then meanwhile, we're still kind of unclear about where we can go and walk. And that felt really dark. That did not feel good. But somehow over the course of the protests and maybe with the loosening of the quarantine, there's been a lot of like hopeful and like inspiring elements to this. And I think that just based on the conversations that I'm having with people around me, my community, community like the fact that this is the first thing you're asking me about, um, there's something going on. There's some, there's some, there's some, there's a kind of depth that is possible, um, that I think wouldn't have been possible had it not been for the, the, the absolutely bizarre situation in which everybody was kind of going through the same thing at the same time, you know? Cause that's something that absolutely everyone has had to deal with. Anyone who's lucky enough to have kept their job has had to completely change it and adapt it to working from home, working remotely, that kind of thing. And I feel like that's something that maybe as a clothing designer, I'm sure you're used to working in busy studios with loads of other people. How has it sort of affected the way you work? How are you working at the moment? Um, so that one is actually less of a dramatic thing. So I, uh, our studio is actually, we live in a, like a loft in Fort Greene that's sort of the front to back of a building. And the back side is the office uh, part and the front side is where Carolyn and I live. Carolyn's my wife. So it has not affected it at all, actually. Um, and in, if anything, um, it's just proven that, I mean, one of the greatest things about being an entrepreneur before the quarantine and, and I think sort of 
exemplified even further during the quarantine is the way that the internet has enabled us to do these things that we would be impossible to do remotely in a remote way and still be as productive or maybe more productive. I mean, we're having a conversation across the ocean right now. Um, I've had, like I mentioned to you, you know, our digital marketing guy is in London. Um, our production facilities are in Los Angeles and North Carolina and in, and parts of India, the materials come from all over the place. And so it's like already the experience was, was, and, you know, Shopify is the platform that enables us to make most of our sales. Instagram is where we do our digital marketing. So it's like the, it's not like that much was reliant on a physical location. And I find that very liberating. Um, I, I love the idea that you could be someplace beautiful and still be being productive. Um, that's a very new and special feature of the modern world, you know? Yeah. There's loads of talk about how, remote working and this way of living will last in a way that you know it's this is like a, a testing ground for all these ways of working yeah and a lot of it's going to stay around and people are preferring it companies are adapting to people working from home more often and i think that's like an interesting arguably quite positive positive thing that's come out of this yeah there are definitely some silver linings that's one of them and um i think also you know this idea of the division between work and and play or whatever which I know that in some cases is a really welcome thing, but it's also, I think there's been this kind of remarkable thing right now where all of us are going through this transformation at the same time. And so it's like this waking dream where suddenly there, the rules don't apply to anybody anymore and, and people's reactions are, are, are different. And there's something kind of amazing about that to me that, and I think it's still unclear where that's going to land. For me, I think I've I've just become a, more aware of my gratitude for my ability to do most things remotely. I think that it's a kind of liberation that just wasn't possible until very recently. Because one, one of the forms of contact that you have with your customers, and something that I thought was quite surprising to hear, is that for a company that's selling their clothes internationally and definitely all across your across the United States, you will sometimes have people up into your loft for like a sort of private viewing and a and a conversation, eat some food, drink some drinks, and that kind of thing. And I thought that's um is that something that you find really important to keep in touch with your customers in that way? Yeah, I mean, well, the way it started was um was we started um selling at this farmer's market that's in our neighborhood and um it was kind of like a last minute decision but we started doing it and just because of the particular kind of confluence of the types of people that were going to this market and the weather and whatever people it just was a was working well that was that started two summers ago and once we started doing that it was like people would be like where can we find you and at that point we were working where we're still working and, and we said, you can come by if you want. And, and then people started coming by. So it was a great way to, to meet the community. And it, it is definitely like, it harkens back to something that is the opposite of what I just said, which is the idea of being a business that exists in a certain place at a certain time and knows its community and 
you know, recognizes the people on the street. And that, and that, you know, in, in a, in that way, I also have really enjoyed that because you walk around and people recognize you, 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 maybe they're wearing your clothes and, and there's this kind of almost like a town, like a little town that you're living in. Of course, that entire structure fell apart, um, this year and we didn't, you you know, there's no, we're not doing the market. We're not doing people here, um, anymore. And yeah, I don't know how that's going to change. Um, I I mean, I'm also having a kid, so I don't know that, that part is unclear for me right now, but it was definitely like super meaningful because it, it, it made us feel like we were part of this place. You know, you said earlier that you're not actually from New York. And I read that you studied at Brown University and you studied international relations. Yeah. Which was a bit of a surprise for me because you're now a successful fashion entrepreneur. And I was wondering when it was that you decided to take such a left turn. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it's maybe I'll take like three steps back, which is, so I'm from San Francisco. Um, and I'm 31 now. So it was like, you know, in my childhood, I grew up in the nineties and it was like, I think a little different, meaningfully different than the way people think of San Francisco now. It wasn't like, there was definitely big tech companies in Silicon Valley, but in the city itself, it still kind of had, it was sort of in its, in its waning hippie, maybe grunge expression, you know? Um, and so for me, like growing up in the Bay, I sort of felt like it was like a create a town of awkward sort of bizarre creatives and in a, in a nice way. I mean, I, I, I like, yeah. I liked that. And I think that's, so for me, uh, that didn't feel like a real left turn in the sense that like, I always made things I loved. I played music. I, you know, I always liked to draw and, and make projects or whatever it was. And so, you know, when I was at Brown, I started doing classes at RISD, which is, which is the Rhode Island school of design, uh, which is which shares a campus with Brown, and that was where I started getting kind of a more formal training in apparel. And I think that like it's it's kind of one of those things that like if you just like something, um, and it's hard to explain explain exactly why. I I think you know some people just like love soccer, you know, at, or like football for you guys. That's what you call it. Yeah, but yeah, right. But but um. You know, for me, I just think there was a there's like a expression of yourself that you're always walking around in the world because you have to wear clothes, and you get to kind of decide what that is to you. And every day, that's that's a that's an opportunity to be some kind of a of a of a creative if you want it to be, or or it can it or it can in your mind be like just a burden. And in that way, that's also saying something about you too. So I kind of love that, that it's this kind of daily expression of who we are that's mandatory, you know? <laughs> and um, so that's just like a natural inclination I have as well. And then when I started getting training in it, I really love that kind of like functional intersection because it is unlike, you know, painting or any kind of art that is meant to end up on the wall, clothes do have to work. And so this is kind of nice intersection between functionality and, and creativity. Um, and, um, and then there's the whole industry component of it, which I, when I started doing internships and when I was at school, I got to be aware of, you know, just the global supply chain. So in a way, if you, if you, 
extrapolate out from just the piece of clothing that you're wearing, you're kind of connected to this very elaborate labyrinth of, of, of supply chains and that thing that you're wearing might connect you to people across the globe. So that interests me as well. And so then when I, um, when I left school, I ended up working for Jack Spade, which is a, which is sort of the men's side of Kate Spade. You might, might know that. And then, um, I designed bags and I understood how that industry worked. I think through that job, I understood the way that, you know, you make, the seasons, the way that you make the collections and then, you know, sell to wholesalers and, and then do it again. And I, and I, and I sort of felt like, okay, I, I, I understand how it works. Um, there's more that I'd like to do than just be a designer. Not because I don't think that that's enough. I just think that that there was more that I was interested in. And I was like 26. Yeah. No, yeah. 26. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, probably should do it rather than later. And I just, I think that the thing that really pushed me was I was thinking like, if I'm going to judge anybody else for whatever they make, I better be willing to be judged myself. And that was push my hand, you know? Loads of companies will just choose some sort of trendy word or something to have as their name. And that's easy to distance yourself from, but you've got, you know, Alex Crane, you're the designer and you're the name of the company. Mm. And when was it that you were confident enough to say, this is something that I want my name all over. This is the one that I want people to judge me by. That's yeah, that's funny. I didn't think about that. Um, so I guess I have a two part answer. The first part is what I just said. I think that if you're going to make something, you should do it seriously and, you know, not, try to hide behind anything um, and put yourself out there to be judged, to be a failure, to be whatever. And I, I would prefer that than to feel like I never took those kinds of chances. Um, And then as for the name itself, honestly, like if you just think about names of things, let's just take like the Beatles, for example, right? terrible name right just awful <laughs> right like the it's like a really shitty pun you know and it's like but that's the name because that's what they chose and there were plenty of dumb bands in the 50s that chose you know there's very few great names that aren't people's names and i think um my parents did a you know me a service by giving me a, that's my actual name i didn't make that name up and um mm-hmm. so that was that's kind of the best I can give you. I think I, I I think if I had a really great name that wasn't my name, I would have done it. I mean, but I think that I was willing to do it, and I didn't have a better option. That's my best answer. I read the other week that several brands, and the most famous of which is Gucci, are considering stopping seasonal wear. In an attempt to be more environmental, they'll just make clothes and it will be less like this is no longer fashionable, bin that and buy the new one. It's much more longer lasting approach. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if that's something that informs the way you design and the way that you guys make clothes. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I mean, what I was, I was never interested in the runway. I don't think that, you know, when I described what got me into this, it's not that I wanted to, you know, be able to walk out on the thing and have the show that was not I just I think 
that there's a there's a need that's met with clothes and it has the opportunity to also be an expression of something and that um ideally is not going to change super radically year over year i mean i think the things that i that i think we're trying to talk about are things that are for life and um and i think the product that i i design is meant to have that kind of longevity and i don't think about it in terms of i mean the truth is i think that when i started this the fact that i veered towards linen obviously has a seasonal implication um and I, and that's been something that that has taken some time to to kind of evolve beyond that but the reason i started with that was not because i was like okay this is my spring summer collection it's because i think that that material really speaks to the the you know we say feel breezy and that spirit is really embodied in that material and, and i think what that for me what feel breezy means is it's not to say you know always live your life lying in a hammock with a margarita that's great if you can do that at some <laughs> point but what it means is that like even when life is this you know weighty thing which it often is i think there's a way to um, access you know some kind of, of of breeziness and i think that can allow you to enjoy life even when it is you know heavy and so for me that's not a seasonal thing maybe 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 um you could argue that that feeling is more just like stronger in the winter but i think that you know that kind of heaviness we're living it right now so i think what we what i'm after is really to you know when you wear clothes for better or worse it informs the way that you feel and um and i think that that's far more than the season what what i'm trying to solve for how have you found that customers respond to that kind of thing is that something that they embrace well i mean people still shop seasonally so that is but the huge difference so first off menswear is different than women's wear i think men are generally more uh likely to purchase something to buy and wear in that moment rather than like oh i'm gonna buy this and wear it when the season when the weather shifts so in that sense, it's a like you kind of kind of meet people where they are in that way, and that's just kind of like a just a consumer thing. But um, I think that there's a you know Uniqlo is for me the the best like large fashion company, and they have I think a very similar philosophy, which is that you can. You don't have to make that many skew. You don't have to make that many uh, that many products, but you can make a ton of colors with really excellent materials and um, minimal construction. And I think that they've done a phenomenal job of of meeting people. You know, and they obviously have seasonal product, but the the language remains consistent. And I feel like there's this kind of you know positive utilitarianism that comes through there that is not exactly depend on the seasons that said like we sell a lot of linen in the summer and we sell less linen in the fall um it'll be interesting to see this year because we're uh you know we started serving international ads in the spring and when australia and the other folks 
in the southern hemisphere start moving into the their spring, it'll be interesting to see if if we can get that reverse seasonality thing. If we can, that'd be phenomenal. So TBD. So what makes you choose a new product? If you've got a few lines of things that you're very proud of, things that work, things that sell, what causes you to add a new one to the line? How do you work that kind of thing out? I think it's oftentimes my own experience. Like, so I do think... It, one of the things that I'm glad I did was not introduce a lot of things at once. It's always so baffling to me that one like smaller companies can introduce a bunch of different um, styles in you know every new every season, um, and I just can't imagine that, that that you could really nail all those new things just because it's hard. Like I mean, it like the development has to be intense. I mean, that, that is everything. And I think that more than, more than making, you know, a new cut, which, which, which we do very rarely, it's always about experimenting with new colors, um, experimenting with new materials. And then it's usually, you know, a different style, but I don't think that like, we don't need a ton of different, like crazy cuts of like, three quarters or blah, blah, you know, we, I think that the styles are kind of, we just need, we just need clean in my mind, like slimmer fits, uh, that are minimalist. And we really need to let the colors and the fabric do the, the majority of the work. And so I spend, I would say the vast majority of my design time on the materials and the color like that's, you know, right before we were talking, I'm looking at these, uh, submits of the canvas stuff that we're doing for the fall and you know it's just it's all about obsessively going over that material and it's there are things that you don't that I don't know that every customer would would be able to call out but you just feel it you know it's like it's it's the the hand feel, how clean the the weave is. It's like the particular kind of highs and lows of the colors, and I think that that's what makes all the difference. I mean, you can, and that's actually where I think you make a you make a really big distinction from a company like Uniqlo, where like they don't have that really. They, I mean, they 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 do. You know, you can buy a linen shirt at Uniqlo for practically nothing, but I guarantee you that if you were to try that and try what we have, you'll understand what that the difference is, and that's it's all in the material. You know, so and 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 maybe in the subtlety of the color. You know, when you're a small company, getting a couple of things right is better than doing a lot of things okay. That's my high level answer. And so when we started really like when I started this collection and I made a linen collection that felt really right, or at least was heading in the right direction that was what really felt like the path to follow rather than, okay, we have a decent product in that. Let's add some more things here. And, and, you know, it, it's just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't possible from an R and D standpoint and I wouldn't have been happy with the product. So that's, I think one element, um, and kind of in a similar vein, I like when you go to a place like in Japan, they do this a lot where, you know, I went to a place in Tokyo where they only sell white t-shirts, but in all these different, like, like different subtleties of, 
of of cut and weight of cotton and you know and like wash and and that kind of focus I think is really amazing because it, it it shows that you're really kind of diving into I think every single project can have that kind of depth um, if you want it to so that's that's sort of the second thing but then lastly ultimately to your seasonal point we've discovered that you know you can't have the kind of year-round business that we want to have uh, at the volume we want to have it without having more seasonal products and linen just isn't a product people are trying to wear in the fall and the winter and I don't blame them so this past this past fall we introduced that suit you're talking about um, the kite jacket and champagne is what we call them but in canvas we had originally introduced it in linen um, and that was really kind of the the new the new hit for us the kite jacket in particular and so we're that was a surprise um, just because we'd never really had a fall product that we could say, oh, this this feels like a really natural extension of what we're doing in the warmer months, and this really does. So we're doing it in a much bigger way in the fall, in a lot more colors, um, and you know, once again, not a lot of styles, but we're really going deeper in 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 that direction, and I think that'll just keep going. I think we'll, you know, it, the more confidence we have that people love what we're making, we'll just make more. I mean, I think one of the really big differences, I don't know, you know, I, f I mean, maybe, th maybe there's like a reckoning a little bit going on right now, but I think in recent times, the logic has been like, just grow as fast as you possibly can, gather people's eyeballs and then figure out what to do with it kind of thing. Um, but because of this organ this company is not like, there's no VC backing, it's just, this is it. Um, it's just growing as it grows. And I think that the product will be a reflection of that, you know? So you feel like you're even now after a few years of going that you're still honing in on the perfect Alex Crane product. Oh yeah. I mean, I think we just started. I mean, first off, I'd love to make women's stuff eventually, but I, I, I um, don't want to diversify too fast. Um, and no, I mean, it's like, the thing is, that it's hard to explain, I think, it depends on where, where your starting point is. Um, like, I don't think that I got into this because I think I'm so great at business. You know, I think that I think I have a natural knack for design and, and, and maybe storytelling, but not, I didn't feel as if like being an entrepreneur was my, was inevitable for me. And I don't think that so that learning curve has, has kind of happened as I've done this business. And, um, and now what I'm kind of getting excited about, if you can believe it, it sounds pretty boring, but I'm actually kind of excited about the, about like the operations of the business, because once you have a concept and, and a story you're trying to tell, the next thing is how do you begin to build that at a scale that can reach more people? And it's, it really is a different thing. And, and that's where I feel like I'm, putting a lot of my effort right now is trying to figure out how do you prepare for the kind of demand that you might have, you know, and that's a great problem to have, but it's a completely different problem than, you know, trying to make cool clothes. 
On Who's Flying the Plane, we like to give our guests the chance to pick us out a hidden gem. So this is something usually from the guest's own field, but it doesn't have to be. So a project or a person that you think needs a little bit more attention. Ooh, cool. Just something that I think is cool. Yeah, it could be as simple as that, yeah. Wow. All right, well, this is... This is going to seem like nepotism, which it, maybe it is, but, <laughs> but I don't care. Um, my wife has a company, and it's called Caroline Z. Hurley, and it is a textile company, and also she's a, a painter, so it's, her paintings and her textiles kind of, you'll see once you go on the website, are kind of interwoven, if you will. Um, and um, And she's making some really amazing work particularly while she's pregnant i've been i think the baby has given her some really good ideas and so i would highly recommend taking a look at particularly right now her paintings i'm like really feeling those hard so that's that's my answer how can listeners of this podcast keep up to date with what you do and where can we buy your clothes even though we're UK based. It's a little harder over here. Right. Okay. Well, you can keep up with us by two ways. One would be following the Instagram, which is Alex Crane. And the other way would be signing up for the newsletter um, on our website, which I think we have some pretty classy emails that you might like. <laughs> um, and um, and how can you get the product? So, um you can order we have really like a really beautiful international shipping service that the actual shipping cost is like so good the only thing that you guys might not like is the vat thing but we have a little widget at checkout that calculates exactly what that'll be and if you you can choose whether you want to pay those costs up front which makes it deliver faster because it just goes straight through customs or if you don't want to do that and just get those you know, pay just for the shipping and deal with the customs later. You have that option too, but we've no, you know, we've now shipped to a lot of countries and UK is super easy. So if you're willing to do that, you will not be disappointed with the postal system. (laughs) (laughs) Great to hear. Great to hear. Um, Okay, that's great, Alex. Um, Thanks so much for talking to me. Of course. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for including Congratulations on your baby. Thank you. And yeah, I'll uh, be sure to keep up to date with what you're doing next. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex.